When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. Absolutely loads stuff into today's Thursday club. All the reaction to transfer deadline day, it was another dramatic one for Fulham. We thought this month might be the time where Fulham keep things quiet at the last, but of course, Tony just cannot resist, can he? Also, we're going to be looking back briefly at the Blackpool game before previewing Man City on Saturday in the FA Cup fourth round, and of course, a load of your emails and some more hilarious submissions for this will catch on and it's the regular Thursday club with me today he's recovered from a late late shift on Monday night it's Peter Rutzler Fulham's writer for The Athletic how you doing mate? I'm good. I'm ready and raring to go. I've I've, uh, I've had the day of recovery and uh, yeah, set to set, set to get back to things now. Back in and Jack way. Collins, hello. Hello. It's always nice to be back. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Peter. We had um, some great discussions about one in the morning on deadline day, and then I think Peter had to finally go to bed. Um, we were all having we were all having fun. I was on a live Liverpool show with the Anfield Rap as the deadline as the deadline went. Uh, so you can imagine what that was like. I mean, I, I love the rap boys and they're great fun and everyone's very calm and level headed. Right. So it's not like having uh, the, yeah. the, the Twitter fan base on your back, um, but it was all a bit mad. So I was enjoying myself. We have a little uh, WhatsApp uh, chat, me, Jack and Peter. And uh, my message at 24 minutes past midnight was bloody Fulham, 24 minutes past midnight and then capital letters every goddamn time. And then Peter basically just had a breakdown, I think, in text format. Um, <laughs> just really tired and just wanted Fulham to announce all of their signings. And before we get on to transfer deadline day, uh, I just wanted to read an email that we got from Harrison, who said, just wanted to say thank you for Sunday's podcast discussing Paul's passing. It almost had him in tears, but it was nice to get a few minutes with the Fulhamish tribe to discuss his memory and the memory of many other Fulham fans lost recently who will be celebrated on the 19th. He said the last couple of years have been really tough. And for some of us listeners, the podcast has always been much needed company and you all feel like friends and it's a bright spot every week getting to listen. He said though Saturday was a tough day and the last couple of years have had many bleak moments listening to you helped me remember that all will be fine thank you massive fan harrison well first of all harrison thank you for the kind words on the pod and i just wanted to say well done to george dom izzy and tom uh for reflecting saturday as well as they could and of course all our thoughts are with paul's friends and family it was such a horrible day on saturday and when the news came through later that evening it was 
really, really tough to take. I think for all of us, whether you knew Paul or didn't know Paul, I think that losing someone in those circumstances really, really was tough. And yeah, um, hopefully um, the pod on Sunday did it justice. Jack and Loz's beautiful blog also, I think, did the day justice as well. Um, And the celebration day that Harrison referred to then, Tom talked about it loads in Sunday's pod. If you haven't heard it, um, it's a day that Fulham are holding on the 19th of February, the Huddersfield game, uh, to remember all of those in the Fulham family that we've lost in the past few years. I think they're hoping for this to be an annual thing and it will be each calendar year that they'll be remembering those lost. But because it's the first time, it's you know, backdated a little while. So if you have someone's memory that you want to celebrate at the Huddersfield game, uh, they'll be in the programme, they'll be on the screen. There's going to be lots of different things going on that day. The deadline is this Friday at 5pm. Celebration day at fulhamfc.com. Friday, 5pm UK time. Um, if you've got someone who you'd like to submit a memory of. And, and I think after the events of Saturday, it's going to be even more poignant that day. So definitely, if you've got someone that you think just deserves to have their name in lights um, on that day, then definitely email celebration day at fulhamfc.com. Right. Let's come on to transfer deadline day for Fulham. And yeah, we all started this month, Peter, thinking that not much is going to happen. Although we did know that Fabio Carvalho might come to a head. It certainly did. Fabio stays, Nico comes in and plenty of other Fulham departures on the day, mostly on loan. Uh, It was a wild ride. Let's start with Fabio Carvalho. Uh, It all looked like it was going to happen. Fabio was going to sign for Liverpool. He was going to join Fulham back on loan. And then about five minutes past 11, the tweets started filtering through that it all didn't go on on time. I mean, it was a roller coaster. Yeah, it was. Just just for a start, I want to echo your comments from the first bit, Sammy, um, and send my thoughts out to, to Paul's family and Claire and and, and all his friends. And it was uh, yeah, it was a really quite emotional day in the end. I think, and uh, I think you guys covered it really nicely on on the pod over over the weekend. Um, but yes, uh, deadline day. Um, <laughs> it was weird. So at the start of the day, I put out a tweet which I was reluctant to do because part of me this. sort of knew that this this was not going to be the case. Um, but, the, you know, the expectation was it was going to be quiet uh, on the incoming front. But, you, you know, you just never know. And obviously, we, the Fabio Carvalho, like we, it become more public the night before about Liverpool's interest and how that had stepped up. Um, <laughs> and, and, and as it proved, that would just dominate the day, really. And I think talks between the two clubs, trying to get an agreement. And the agreement didn't come until very late. Um, and that really made getting it over the line quite difficult. There were lots of different moving parts to it. Um, <laughs> and, and ultimately, the Liverpool didn't, weren't able to, fin- to finalise it. Um, Fulham, for them, as we've seen Marco Silva say, um, it was a line in the sand that he stays to the rest of the season. Um, the whole way through, the club were confident that he, was, he would still be here for the rest of the championship season. Um, so the only way Liverpool were only going to be able to get this done would be through a loan back. And it was because of that loan back that this deal didn't get a deal, uh, didn't have a deal sheet, for example. So with the Premier League, <laughs> there, there's that extension that you can have in the EFL, there is not. So while Liverpool may have been able to try and get some of the other nuts and bolts done, Fabio was, uh, had, went for a medical in London, we understand on uh, Monday night, um, 
the, the actual nuts and bolts of the loan back didn't get through the, over the line. And that's that for Fulham, it's, 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 it's one of those, isn't it? I think in terms of circumstances, nothing really changes in terms of how you know, the players you have on the ground um, with Fabio still here. Um, but of course, there's lots of other elements to it. There's the financial side to it. There's what it means for, for Liverpool's pursuit in particular, which is very, very interesting now that they haven't been able to, to do it early. You know, their thinking was to try and beat the prospect of a tribunal and then beat what is a lot of interest. And I, it's worth stating that Liverpool aren't the only club looking at them and looking at Fabio. And while it's perhaps been not wasn't there was that sort of competition I think there was a sense that you know Liverpool was sort of on a pathway to a deal um but now the fact that that hasn't gone through it does open the door a little bit it does say actually you know this isn't a foregone conclusion that he's he's going to go to Anfield um so and yeah and 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 just on the obviously the financial point as well it's it's have have what does it mean for Fulham financially? You know, if he does go abroad in the summer now, that means a lot lesser compensation under FIFA rules. It's under training compensation. It's a fixed nominal fee, really. Fundamentally, you know, Fulham Fulham had a had an asking price. We understand that to be about eight million pounds with a sell on, and it just wasn't met until too late in the day. And because it was too late, Liverpool Liverpool missed out, um, and Fabio Carvalho remains a Fulham player. The, the financials of this I find particularly fascinating. Fulham were holding out for this 8 million plus add-ons plus the loan back plus a sell-on fee for Fabio. That's what they thought was the best that they could do probably in the circumstances. And, and yeah, now this probably fair. And now this hasn't happened, right? I guess there's one of two things that can happen assume, other than maybe Fabio staying, which... I, I, even I am now maybe resigned to the fact that that's looking unlikely. He either will go to a British club and we will get the tribunal fee, which from my understanding might not be far off 8 million, especially if it's to Liverpool who have shown their cards of how much they're willing to spend on Fabio Carvalho, or he'll go abroad, which from what I've read is a half million euro fixed kind of fee for fee, wherever he goes, Barcelona, Dortmund, Leipzig, whoever it is, that's how much Fulham will receive. But how big a deal is this potential lost money? You know, let's say he does go to a European club, that's seven and a half million, no sell on fee, not great business. But then again, the prizes of getting into the Premier League and having Fabio Carvalho at Fulham is surely what the Khans are looking at as way more important than whatever kind of six, seven million that you get if you absolutely lose seven million, but get into the Premier League because Fabio scored you all the goals to get there, then it's an, then it's the price worth paying. Yeah, well, which is fine, right? We, no one's no one's kind of denying that. The whole point is that if the if the choice was have Fabio Carvalho for the rest of the season uh, and not get and, and not get any money now or don't have Fabio Carvalho for the rest of the season. I don't think anyone would have been arguing, least of all the Fulham hierarchies, that that was good business. Um, the point was they were going to guarantee that fund with a loan back. And that's why, you know, this was so important to the whole thing is that the loan agreement was was so crucial to to the whole to the whole process, right? And, and that's how it was going to work. So when you look at it that way, have Fulham risk losing on 8 million? Yes. Is that a problem? I don't know um, because I'm not, you know, as I'll say with exactly where we are in, in, our, in our financials. But from what I've read online, Fulham are 
not miles off, treading on the edge of, of, of where we need to be in terms of FFP, in terms of making things work, in terms of making sure that those cycles are, are accepted. So I would suggest that £8 million could be quite a lot of money uh, in, in, in the regards to the, the grander scheme of things and where Fulham are. Um, so, so yes, so I think it's important. I, I do, yeah. And, and I think that if the choices were not having Fabio and not getting the money, I would obviously not have taken that. That's not, that's not the option. Um, but if Fulham you know, and Liverpool had been able to come to an agreement here, I, I think it would have been a safer bet for all parties. Now, that doesn't make it right or wrong. I just think it would have been a safer bet. And I don't think it changes anything in Fabio's situation. He still doesn't look like he's going to sign a contract. I, I, I spoke to a lot of people who were like, oh, if he goes and he comes back on loan, don't play him. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. They'd be like, what would be his motivation? I'd be like, well, what's his motivation here for six months without signing that contract? It, it doesn't make any difference as far as I'm concerned. I think that Fabio Carvalho will want to, one, get his first senior trophy under his belt um, at, at such a young age. Two, be in consideration for individual awards at this point, which right now I would say he is the far and away candidate um, to win Young Player of the Year in the championship. Um, so what you're looking at here is a player who has all of these things ahead of him. And I wouldn't be, I'd be absolutely shocked if whatever happened on deadline day had affected that kind of morale in any stretch of the imagination whatsoever. So that's the first thing. I think Fabio is going to be absolutely fine. I think he's going to be motivated. I think he's going to want to play for the club. And I think it would have been exactly the same if he'd gone to Liverpool and come back on loan. I have no questions and no qualms about that whatsoever. Um, I just am a little bit concerned about what happens now for FFP. Like you say, I think we'll be okay because Liverpool have put their cards on the table. Um, but the highest tribunal fee ever paid right now in the UK is for Danny Ings, which was just over, if I'm not mistaken, 8 million. Um, and it, it was one of the eight, 6.5 up front with 1.5 million in bonuses. Um, and they got a 20% sell-on clause on the back of that. That is off Danny Ings having... Three seasons in the championship and a season in the Premier League uh, in which he scored 36 goals um, and made 115 appearances. We're talking about Fabio Carvalho, who's obviously an incredible talent, but is nowhere near those numbers. Now, prices have obviously inflated since that happened in 2015, seven years ago. We've seen the market change, the Neymar effect, or if you want to call it the James Tompkins effect, then, then you're more than welcome to. Um, but, it, you know, we've seen the market inflate in, in those situations. So therefore, there is that caveat that it would probably be, be around that number. But I don't think Fulham are going to get a, a record tribunal fee here of a player who's only had one senior season as good as he is. So therefore, I think the 8 million was good, was, was kind of relatively good business. 8 million, sell-on fee, loan back. And, you know, as I said, I wanted an Eco Williams thing thrown in there at, at one point. It, that's obviously come through. Um, there's no option in that, which would have been my kind of final caveat. Um, but I think that was as good as Fulham were going to get in the circumstances. I think also just maybe to to wind back a little bit to my first rambling answer um, with with Fabio and just talking about the the finances because you mentioned there that it does set sort of a precedent for his valuation. Where it's interesting for Liverpool is that because there is that discrepancy between a domestic tribunal and, and FIFA fixed compensation. If you're an overseas club, if you are, I mean, there's so many clubs linked, but if you're Borussia Dortmund, if you're a Sevilla, if you're a Monaco. If he goes to Sevilla, I will absolutely lose my shit and I'm not in a positive way. <laughs> Come on, Sevilla. <laughs> but if, if you are one of those clubs, rather than having to pay or worry about that compensation, you can put that into a contract. Um, 
And that's where Liverpool would find themselves and also some other English clubs at a disadvantage. Now, that's not to say that Liverpool and Fulham could come to an agreement, which they've already done um, beforehand. Um, and then that's where it's different. I and mean, we may not see the end of necessarily that fee that they've agreed. Um, but now it's just a question of whether all parties, not just Liverpool, whether, you know, Fulham, whether Fabio Carvalho actually want to, to, to do that and, 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 and make that deal happen at that point. So I, it is that element. And I think from Fulham's perspective, it was always, he's a key part of our team. Promotion is where what really matters. That's where the real money is. And we want to make sure that we do that and we achieve it without those disruptions. Yeah, I think the FFP is probably the most interesting thing. It's not like Fulham have a, a cash flow problem when we have such wealthy owners. They will spend as much as they can, but the limits of financial fair play make it tough. Um, one thing I did learn, and I think it was uh, Tristan Pocharicic who tweeted this, is that it's the overall amount that is given by the tribunal that then gets put into the FFP wallet effectively. So even if it starts off as a million rising to four, it's four that can go on the books. Um, I'm not an expert on this. You probably need to listen to the price of football or lots of other money podcasts who will explain this stuff in detail. But certainly it didn't look like selling Fabio Carvalho from Fulham's point of view was be all and end all. And at least people that didn't want Fabio back on loan for six months, even though I didn't think, as you say, Jack, it made any difference whether Fabio was on loan from Liverpool or in the situation he is now, I think his motivation is exactly the same. But for those people, at least they don't have to kind of do that moral qualm because it's seen a lot of people were very, very upset by that particular idea and developing a youngster for another club. But hey-ho, it doesn't change too much. A, a youngster that we are definitely developing for another club though, Peter, is Nico Williams uh, from Liverpool, right back who we signed. Uh, of course, Dennis Adoy left and I'm sure we'll pay our uh, respects to Dennis Adoy in just a second. But uh, an exciting signing, uh, a fully Welsh right-hand side of, of Harry Wilson and uh, Nico Williams. Um, he's someone that, I, I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I say I've seen an awful lot of him. I've seen him a few Carabao Cup games for Liverpool. He's played in most of the Carabao run that uh, Liverpool have had to the final this year. He seems like a talent. He's got a, a wicked cross on him from what I've seen. Is there anything else that we should know about Nico Williams? And actually maybe the most important question, is he giving Kenny Tete a serious battle for the number one spot when Kenny's back fit? Well, we'll have to see on that front. I think um, that's, going to be the reason why he was signed. I think if we go back to the summer, we, you know, Marcus Silva sort of outlined his intention to have a player of a similar profile to, to Kenny Tetter, said that wouldn't be the case this month. Um, but evidently things changed towards the end of this window. Um, we've seen uh, Stephen Sessegnon go out on loan. Marlon Fossey's gone out on loan as well. He's doing really well at Bolton. Um, I think their manager came out and said they want to try and make it permanent. So, He's well regarded at Fulham, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But it did leave things a little thin on the ground, especially considering that Kenny Tetter has that, you know, that groin injury that he picked up at Stoke. We're still not sure yet on, on how serious that might be. So having someone that can provide competition. And, and to be honest, we've seen Dennis Adoy's done a, a pretty good job. And we talked about Dennis and, and about how, you know, further down the line, maybe Fulham will need to, to upgrade in that position to really to really push Kenny Tetter, especially because he's had these injuries. Um, I don't think anyone sort of expected Dennis to go. Um, so that, that sort of, I mean, the, the first sort of 
rumours were coming out of Belgium, weren't they, at the beginning of the day, this was a possibility. Um, and as soon as you start hearing it, you think, well, if that's happening, then then someone else is coming in. And from what I sort of understand of the Nico Williams thing, it, there was some suggestion it was going to happen in the morning, then it was off. And then later in the evening, Fulham, you know, Fulham came in for him um, more firmly because there had been interest. I know there was talk of Bournemouth wanting him, but apparently that's that's absolutely not the case at all because they'd already brought in Ethan Laird. So I was going to say they have about four right backs on the books. It was a really strange rumor. It was it, it was did odd. feel like at one point they were you know linked continually by Sky Sports and and then I was watching it and looking at their their squad and thinking not yeah. only have they brought in an absolutely ridiculous amount of players on deadline day, um, but they have far too many right backs as it is and and they don't have enough space to play them all. Yeah, it made no sense. But obviously, Nico Williams was one that Fulham um, Fulham wanted. And I think from what we can see, and you're right, Sammy, there isn't a lot of minutes and that's that makes making a proper analysis difficult. That's what I was referring to at the start. You know, we, we'll have to see exactly. But this is a player who, in his younger days, was much more of a forward. This is a player who was number two to Trent Alexander-Arnold. This is a player who's played in the Champions League. He's a Premier League winner. Um, he's been training up against Mo Salah, Sadio Mane every week. Um, it's a decent pedigree. He is an attacking fullback. He's got four assists, I think, uh, in the first team level. I need to double check that. But either way, he's he is of that mould. He is someone who wants to play on the front foot. He'll bring that the, that importance that comes with being a Liverpool fullback. We see how reliant they are, how important they are to Jurgen Klopp's system, the way they switch the play as well. Um, I think for what Marco Silva probably wants from his fullbacks, and we've. We've seen it and we've seen it increasingly, but I think we haven't seen it as much as probably he would want, especially when you look back at some of his former sides. I think he fits in in, in that sense. Um, and, you know, he'll, he'll know Harry Wilson. I'm sure Harry Wilson will have played a part in encouraging him to come down. Um, and it, all in all, I think it, it's, a, it's a good move. I think it's a, it's a player that, you know, who's got his best years ahead of him. Um, from what I understand, I don't think there was a loan fee, um, which is also pretty good to hear as well. So, obviously it'd be good to have an option, but I think he signed a five-year contract relatively recently. So having that in, in place would have been difficult. But, you know, all considered, I think it's a good option. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's kind of a couple of years younger than Trent. And there's this element that, you know, widely Trent Alexander-Arnold is considered perhaps the best right back in the world, at the very least in the, in the top five. Um, and he's, 23 years old it looks that he might have that spot nailed down for the next seven years now obviously Liverpool need strength and depth there but speaking to the people from the rap they were saying that if there was a Champions League final tomorrow or a you know a, a game against Man City in the Premier League um, and Trent Alexander-Arnold was injured they wouldn't expect Nico Williams to play right back. They would expect James Milner to step in there. They would expect Joe Gomez to go out to right back where he's played a little bit before, um, which does give you slight concerns. Bear in mind, Nico Williams is 20. And then there's also Connor Bradley coming through from the academy, Northern Irish lad. He's 18 years old and is absolutely unbelievably highly regarded as well by the Liverpool hierarchy. I know for a fact that they're talking about him, you know, as another future star. There's probably enough of a gap between Trent and Connor Bradley that you could probably make it work. Whereas there might not be enough of a gap between Trent and Nico Williams if he wants to play consistent first team football, as many people will. Um, so there might be a scope here to, to get him out of there. And, and yes, obviously he signed a contract and you'd have to pay Liverpool what their valuation of him was, which would re be relatively high, I think, um, considering what we've seen the likes of Tino Livramento, Tarek Lamptey go for in the last couple of years. 
you'd probably be looking at a relatively high fee for Nico Williams. But there is scope, I think, to make something work there because Liverpool do have depth in that position. And no matter how highly someone's regarded, if they're going to be a perennial second choice for the next five years, there is always going to be that element of how do you make it work? Um, So I, I think it's maybe one just to keep an eye on. I thought for me, it didn't really matter that we didn't have the option. Some players, they come in, you're like, oh, we haven't got an option. What's the point? But on this one, I'm like, well, if he impresses for us um, and we really, really want to sign him next year, we think that assuming we go up, he can do the step up. As you say, Jack, it's not like Liverpool are going to probably be putting him in their first team. They would probably be open to offers. They might want a lot as you say of money but I think this is a good trial run for Nico if he makes a brilliant impression at the cottage then I'm sure we'll you know put in an offer I don't know if trying to agree an offer now particularly when it all sounded like it was at the last minute and tight enough anyway to get over the debt uh, to get over the deadline um was was hugely important I think the only one for me is I I want to see what the impact of this is on Marlon Fossey because he seems like such a talent. He's doing so well at Bolton and hopefully that loan move will do him good. But we want to see our own youngsters progress. And if Kenny Tete is our first choice right back, um, I would not want to see Nico Williams signed at the detriment of of, of Marlon's um, progression. So that's the only one for me that I think is uh, an interesting one on this. There's a really good piece uh, on Nico Williams with his mum and dad that, Kiva wrote, uh, Kiva O'Neill, who's the one of the Liverpool writers of the Athletic. Um, it's like a, an open letter to them um, before the first Wales game of the Euros last summer, which I thought was excellent. So probably worth a read there. Dennis Adoy, we got this email from Richard Smith. He said, we may have had better right backs, but we have had few players with the panache of Dennis Adoy. Any of us in middle age who need glasses want to look as good in glasses as Dennis. Many of us, if not most of us, would have liked to kick Jack Grealish, even if it meant being sent off. Who wouldn't like to be able to lever ourselves onto a crossbar to celebrate? I suspect most of us would like to be able to leap like Dennis. Even some Atlantic salmon are envious. Finally, has anyone ever repeated the flick the ball past your man using the back trick that Dennis used against Paul Dummett? How TF does anyone ever think, I know, I'll flick it past him using my back? Oi, 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 Dennis Adoy. I hope Club Bruges know how lucky they are. Well, Club Bruges are not massively happy about the whole no, thing, but we might come we'll on, on to that. that. Dennis Adoy, five and a half years at Fulham, Peter. Um, he's been an ever-present since we started this podcast. He started at pretty much the exact same time since we started Fulhamish. What a journey he's had from that first game at Newcastle that everyone remembers so fondly. He was a right-back. He was a centre-back. He scored the goal against Derby. He's been in the team, out the team, in the team, out the team. He drinks lattes in Mortlake in his cool cafe. He rides a bike. He is as cult hero as the very best of the Moritz Volts. John Pantsill, he's right up there, right up there in cult hero status. And um, I just, I'm really sad, but I also understand why it has to happen. Yeah, I think you, you summarised it nicely there, Sammy. What is it about right backs as well? Why do they always become cult heroes? Um, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. All those people that, they, 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 I didn't hand rehearse those two names. They were the first two people that come to my head. Yeah, Moritz Voltz, John Pantsill. Why are they all right? But Chris Baird, Chris Baird right backs. Yeah. Um, no, it's really sad to see him go, and it was a sh- it was a shame it happened so late in the day as well, and it'd be one that we sort of wake up to, and it's had just just sort of happened really. Um, as you say, I mean, you, you summed him up perfectly there in terms of his service. Five and a half years, 
countless appearances, 177, I think, is it? Um, mm. Two promotions, was on course for a third. Um, it's, you know, he, he's one of those, because of who he is, because of his character, and he's a really popular character as well, and he will definitely be missed in the dressing room. Um, it's one that it, you don't really want to see him go. It really tugs at you to, to, to let him go. But then when you, maybe it's a heartbeat head thing, maybe a little bit. Um, when it comes to the football side, we saw he wasn't involved last year. He had a difficult year last year and he spoke about that, I think, in a, a club interview with, in the Matchday programme about how tough it was training on his own and um, it, it didn't sound enjoyable at all. But, you know, he's he's shown himself to be useful at this level. This season he's been great. I mean, I, I was praising him in previous pods for how he's come in and, and stepped into that role when it looked like that Mark Silva wanted someone elsewhere. And that's ultimately come, come to fruition. But... You know, that's just down to down to the man, isn't it? He? He's such a lovely guy, a uh, cultured guy, uh, cool guy, as you said, Sammy. Um, and he'll be missed. And I think that's that's the outpouring you've seen afterwards. You know, that speaks volumes. And it's another one that sort of marks the end of an era, really, doesn't it? Um, probably a move that had to happen at some point. And the fact that Fulham have got seven hundred thousand euros, I think, which is similar to what they pay, which makes which is good on the books. It's you know, it's that's good, but. It's always difficult to to say goodbye. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? He was he was such a hero for for so many things and for so many years. Um, and it, it's true. And Farrell was making a Simpsons meme the other day um, about what he was, and he, he said, you know, he he made the odd mistake, was rude to Paul Dummett, and got sent off in the playoff final. But there goes the most entertaining right back the championship has ever seen, and it did make me laugh um, because I think it was pretty much spot on. And look, the last couple of games. I've been sat here being like, I'm really worried about Dennis Adoy because he keeps getting skinned by, you know, first Philogene Bidais and then pretty much everyone in the Blackpool team. Um, and it was starting to look a little bit ugly. Um, and, and you never want a cult hero to go out like that, right? You want a cult hero to go out riding on a high. So maybe, maybe this is the moment. But I saw a brilliant tweet from Ben on, on Twitter who said, the club should be getting the band back together for a testimonial this summer for K-Mac and Dennis. Get the Villa playoff squad back together and open the new stand would be an unreal day out. Um, it's so at Ben Savu. And I, I thought that was a, a good shout. Thought it might be a, a, a really nice way to open the Riverside, if you, if you can, to try and give those players who, who left during this pandemic with no fans, who weren't able to get... The, the send-offs that they perhaps deserved um, around to to really do that and uh, and really give them that. And I imagine Dennis Adoy's probably made enough appearances that if we were to win the championship, he'd get a medal. So we'd have to get him back to give him his medal anyway. Yeah. Um, so you can kill two birds with one stone if you give him, give a testimonial in the summer. Um, obviously, Niskan Skibana is going to get his own testimonial full stop. So that's a separate yeah. issue. But um, but yeah, look, obviously, such a such a wonderful man, I think, in, in so many ways and, uh, and such a player that... I, my brother texted me this morning saying, I forgot that Dennis Adoy did the back thing on his debut. <laughs> yeah. And he really did make me laugh. I was like, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, it, it, look, a, a really sad one to go. Probably the right time. Um, but what a servant to the club he's been. What a gentleman. Um, and obviously some of the stories coming out this week have been remarkable. So um, all the best to him. And let's hope that the Club Bruges fans can uh, get over their past their past acrimony with Dennis Adoy, um, which is, to be fair, one of the most Dennis Adoy stories ever. Did you hear why the Club Bruges fans hate him? Well, I assume it's because he used to like play for Anderlecht. Yeah, he used to play for Anderlecht. And after a particularly tasty derby between the two, he took the piss out of Club Bruges' club motto. 
Oh, <laughs> silly boy! He, he did like a he did like a play on words uh, with a club motto, uh, and oh. that's how Dennis Adoy incurred the wrath of the uh, the club Bruges fans. Um, so <laughs> but only oh, Dennis, Dennis, only Dennis, you'd be like, hmm, I wonder what I can do to upset the fans. Not celebrate in front of them or anything. He'd be like, oh, I'm going to make a really funny pun on their yeah, motto. Yeah, some wordplay <laughs> in Latin. Exactly, <laughs> just unbelievably Dennis. Um, but yeah, I hope that they do eventually find out. You know, the the good and they've got. That was ten years ago. He's obviously was it was a lot younger as a man then, and and probably a little bit more impetuous. Um, and and he's gone on to to do great things at Fulham and been an unbelievable servant. So I'd imagine that once things go, come out, do an interview, talk about it. Um, you know, look at the Anderlecht standing orders, rip them up. Um, and everyone will, uh, everyone will, will take him for him for his own again. So that'd be all right. Yeah. Two things. First of all, if they're looking to make a cafe in the new Riverside, if you're not calling it Dennis's, what are you doing? Yeah. The man loves coffee. He needs to be commissioned to have his own stamp on whatever cafe that is. And the club will make a roaring trade. Uh, you've got McBride's bar and Dennis's cafe. First of all, that has to happen. And secondly, there was this brilliant, um, little thread from Jeff Bruce who works for the club. Um, and it says Dennis Adoy, a short story two seasons ago, there was the Huddersfield Fulham game and uh, those not working went to a bar in Clapham. While there, I received a text from Dennis who was injured asking if there was a way of watching the match on FFC TV. He explained that because it was on Sky Sports, they weren't allowed to stream it. Dennis didn't have Sky Sports, so Jeff invited him to come watch the match with him and he jumped in a taxi. Then when he turned up, he bought drinks for everyone. In brackets, there were quite a few of us, most of whom he hadn't met. And even though he didn't drink himself, as well as buying food for the whole table, he got involved, made a real effort with everyone and was celebrating with the rest of us when Cavalero scored a late worldie to win the game. A top guy who was just a perfect fit for our football club. Dennis Adoy, absolute legend. And uh, if you ever want to come on the podcast, then uh, just give us a ring because we'd, uh, we'd absolutely love to have you on. Um, Peter, just final little bits from transfer deadline day. Uh, there were a few departures. We briefly talked about uh, Sessegnon. There was also Tiehi who went to Rodez. Uh, Kina, who's loan ended and he's now gone to Barnsley. I think the one that maybe just stood out the most was Sylvester Jasper going to Hibs uh, alone with an option, which was a bit surprising. He's been at Colchester United, who have frankly been abysmal this season. And I think that Jasper's just been trying to do his best in a, in a very bad situation there. Um, but yeah, I think a few fans surprised to see that this had an option attached to it. He's a reasonably well-regarded talent, but maybe... With play with players like Jay Stansfield struggling to get a game, did Sylvester Jasper ever really have a realistic prospect of making it to the Fulham first team? I think the the loan was I think as you pointed out about Colchester, I think there was always a sense he'd come back and try and step up because he'd done well enough there to to try and get a loan and get those minutes at a, a higher level. Um, so I think in that sense, the fact that he did get the Scottish Premiership move is quite probably a good move for him. I think it's a good place to to build under Sean Maloney, who Jack I'm sure will tell us more about. Um, but no, I, I was a little surprised there was an option. I agree, I was I was surprised. But I think with Jasper, while he and Carvalho at the same have come through at the same time, you know, they I think they were both brought in by Colin Amogbahin at uh, a similar time as well. Um, for Jasper, those those next steps have taken a little longer. So maybe there was that in that thinking. And as you say, you know, getting into that higher level um, and, and sustaining it there would be difficult. I don't know what the option is exactly what it is, and you know that probably be telling. I mean, if it's a if it's uh, a doable option is, is, a, is a different matter. But um, 
maybe that's a, maybe that'd be good for him to get a new start. We'll see. We'll see. But it's a, it's a good step for him to get those minutes anyway. A good Scottish Premiership club. Chucked straight into the mix. Well, sort of straight into the mix. He was on the bench last night for the Edinburgh Derby. Um, he didn't get on, but it was a hard-fought, scrappy game. And so perhaps he wasn't the the exact option that, that, that Hibbs needed at the time. But um, yeah, straight onto the bench. They've signed two wingers, though, um, which does worry me a little bit, considering they don't actually play with wingers at the moment. They play with wing-backs. Um, so perhaps that's something that, that that's one to do. Um, I mean... Runa Horger, who's Jens Petter Horger's brother, he's a little bit more of a centre forward. So I'd imagine he's going to brought in to, to play as one of the front two. Um, but I'm not quite sure where Syl Jasper fits into this setup. If it is as a wing back coming from a little bit deeper, or if it's in one of the midfield positions playing as maybe more of a 10, um, it'd be interesting to see where Sylvester Jasper fits into this. Um, but it's one that I will be keeping an eye on. Um, one of my best mates moved a couple of years back up to Edinburgh. Um, in, in doing medicine and he uh, he's a Hibs fan now and he, he sits in and, and watches Hibs games quite a lot. So I've got him uh, on updates for when we uh, when we hear about what Sills up to up there. Good stuff. And also saw that Kevin McDonald got a move to Dundee yeah, United. Yeah, amazing. Our free, sister club. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. All worked out for, for K-Max. So good luck to him up there. Final point on transfer deadline day. This one from Alan Rustad said, of our rivals, Bournemouth brought in half a team on deadline day. Desperation or very clever? Surely big FFP repercussions if they don't go up from Alan. Uh, they did make a hell of a lot of signings. Freddie Woodman, Nat Phillips uh, on loan, Todd Cantwell, Shariki Dembele, Kiefer Moore. I was surprised to see Bournemouth quite as busy as they were, but a few of those signings have not got me worried, but they're impressive nonetheless. A player like Todd Cantwell at the championship level. They're good signings, aren't they? I thought I thought they're, they're good additions. I think the only issue I think for them is the size of the squad now. I mean, it would be quite difficult to balance the, the interest they have there. Um, Kiefer Moore I always found to be an interesting one because obviously he's a, he's a target man, isn't he? Obviously it gives him something different, but um, whether they're just trying to, I, I don't know, I sort of, I wouldn't say he's a Mitrovic type because they're different players, but it would just, just seemed quite interesting yeah. to, if you're looking. He's even to, further down the Mitrovic road, isn't he? he he's even yeah. further down the big man road than, than Alexander Mitrovic is. And if you can't, it, it did make a, it didn't make huge amounts of sense for me because you watch it and you think if Bournemouth are planning on going up and obviously Mitrovic did score goals for Scott Parker in the championship. It's easy to forget that. Um, if Bournemouth do go up, are they going to completely change their style? And in which case, how does Kiefer Moore fit into the example? Yeah. But maybe, maybe you know, Scott Parker is learning from what he's done before, which is reasonable, I think, at this point. Um, I, I think it, it facilitates a necessary change in shape. Um, I think if they're bringing Nat Phillips in there, they're going to have to go to a back three. And they're going to have to, they're going to have to, because otherwise Nat Phillips is coming in to sit on the bench. And I don't think Liverpool are going to be particularly happy with that. Um, so we'll see how this pans out, but I think it might end up being Scott Parker going five or three, five, two as a permanent thing, um, which would be interesting to see in, in how it works out for everyone. But yeah, they, they made some good business um, and, and we'll see how they get on. Uh, and if you want all the reaction from what was a frantic transfer deadline day for Fulham, The Athletic is absolutely the best place for you to go. Uh, lots of great stuff on there, uh, including a long read on why Fabio Carvalho's £8 million transfer to Liverpool collapsed, which was by Peter uh, and some of his colleagues in the Liverpool side of The Athletic. Then go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Loads of good reading on there. There's also an interesting piece on Andrew 
Anthony Robinson and uh, his goal for the US men's national team on there and Peter's piece from last week uh, about how Silver has helped Fulham score more and concede less from set pieces. So there's loads of fantastic articles. Get 33% off theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Afterwards, we're going to look ahead to Man City. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. So there's not really too much, actually, to say, I think, about the Blackpool game on Saturday. Other than Peter, it's kind of as you were, really, in the championship. In the, in the circumstances, a, a one-all draw is just kind of fine. I think Fulham were poor in, in the second half. Um, but given everything that happened in the day and the game and obviously the news that came out afterwards, it, it did just pale into such insignificance. Fulham played poorly. We came out with a point. I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and thought, we'll move on from this. And and no and no real damage was done in, in the championship table anyway. So one to maybe just write off in the books. Yeah, obviously it's a, uh a fixture that will be remembered for, for different reasons. And it the, the football just didn't really matter. At least that was the overriding sense afterwards. And I, I, I mean, if we were to talk about the game in, in, in itself, I think the way Fulham started was, was very, very good. Um, and I think Blackpool were very tentative. They set up in a defensive shape and I think they got their mentality entirely wrong. Uh, they didn't press properly. And I think Fulham could have could have run away with it, and they were they were doing very well. They they did change after the break in play, and um, were much more front foot, much more aggressive. Um, and Fulham didn't really respond. They were okay in the first half, but second half far too uh, ponderous, uh, too slow at the back, too many errors. Tosin had a really strange period in the second half, um, but he wasn't alone in that back line, and they just just struggled to deal with Blackpool, who were just just cleverer, I think, smarter, and. And and Fulham didn't really get past their press and and but you know the visitors deserved a point. Um, the grand scheme of things, it's it's a point. It wasn't the best performance. It's not a, a not the football will be one that we will want to move on for. But yeah, as as we said, it's it's a game that will be remembered for for other reasons. And on Man City, Jack, on Saturday, uh, we're heading up to the Etihad. Uh, 3 p.m. kickoff, FA Cup fourth round. I think everyone knows that this is a difficult game. Uh, City have had a little bit of a break, so could potentially be a bit sluggish. But most likely we're going to see quite a strong team, I feel like, from what I can tell from, from Man City. How do you think Fulham go about this? Is it a go all guns blazing, really try and make a statement against um, a, a fantastic side? Or do you think it's a bit of an 80% rotating a couple of players and, and just see what happens? I would, but do the latter. But I, I don't know if Marco Silva will. He'll, he'll want to make a point. Um, that would be making a, a hell of a point if we were to, to go and get anything out of Man City. But I'd imagine that's going to be his aim. Um, I think there will be some rotations, I would, would suggest, that rather than it being exactly the same squad. Um, but I think they're going to be rotations within the kind of sensible scheme of things. We might see a Rodrigo Muniz here. We might see... Um, Nathaniel Chalaba start here. These are the rotations we're going to make. It's not going to be, you know, players called up from from the 23s that I think really make a make a statement. You might see Nico Williams get his first start to try and work him into the side. Those are the changes that I imagine Marco Silva will be making rather than anything hugely drastic. Um, but 
you know, if it was up to me with with Millwall on on, on Tuesday night, I would I would be rotating relatively heavily um trying to you know we've got another fixture pile up here we had a little bit of a break over the last two weeks um but we're about to we're about to go back into pile up mode um so when that happens you have to kind of work out where your priorities lie and for for me this season you know it'd be very different for me if we were talking about this being Fulham in the FA Cup if we were 12th in the Premier League um where I think it's probably the most important thing you can throw all your resources at um but right this year we have priorities that aren't this and and for me at this point um it would be a rotate deal with it later it's man city if it was crystal palace i'd be sli- i'd be looking at it slightly differently i think um and that's no slight on palace who are a very very good side um it's just that Man City are so good. They're already knocked out of the League Cup. They will be unhappy about that. They will be looking to lock down, you know, silverware from here to the end of the season. There is at least a double, if not a treble. Um, the treble, in the same way that Man United won it, is still on for them. They will be gunning for it and they've had a rest. Um, this, for me, doesn't smell good. And I would be focusing our attention on... Um, well, on the Millwall game on Tuesday. But that said, when was the last time the first in the Premier League played first in the Championship in a cup game? Because that's a pretty cool thing. Did it not happen with Fulham? back? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the last time it happened, but uh, we faced Man United when we were top of the Championship in uh, 0-1-0-2. And I'm pretty yeah, Fabrice sure Fernandez were... scored a free kick. Um, yeah. I've very rarely been happier. Yeah, I think we were, they were top of the premiership at the time as well, if I'm not mistaken. So um, can't be the last time it's happened, but it's got to be uh, it's got to be up there, hasn't it? Um, the only worry for me, Peter, is if Fulham happen to be on the receiving end of a scoreline that Fulham like giving out to other teams. Um, do you think that there's a chance that that could have a bit of a negative impact. That's my main hope from this match is like, I don't really know one's that bothered if we go through. It is Man City. I just would rather it not be 6-0 because I just don't know how much that will do for our confidence. If it was 3-1 and we maybe equalised, that would be perfect in my eyes. Not per- not perfect, but you know yeah. what I mean. It's a game you can sort of spin you put in a great performance good and good but if you get beaten quite heavily it doesn't matter we're focusing on Millwall in the league so yeah it's one of those I, I, I the way Silver likes his teams to play I mean it's possible that there could be a big scoreline because you know I can't see Marco Silva setting up to defend that's just not how he sort of plays these things but I wouldn't be surprised if Fulham go out there and, and cause a shock I think during his time at Estoril they got some quite big results um I think they beat Porto away. Um, so it's, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility. And I think Jack mentioned it. I think there'll definitely be an element for Silver wanting to maybe not make a point, but just, or maybe it is make a point, just to sort of remind everyone, you know, who what his team is, look how good we're doing. Um, he's not in the Premier League at the moment. It's against Premier League coach, probably a coach that, coach that everyone admires as well. So there will be that element to it. And I think from a Fulham perspective too, I think they'll be able to want to, you wouldn't want to go to Manchester City and try and beat them. Um, just hopefully there won't be, you know, the, like the last visit where it was not particularly exciting either. Um, but knowing the way Fulham play, even if there is some rotation, I agree with Jack, there probably should be. I think if we do prioritise the league, which has to be the priority, then then there will be. But if there is, even if there is a little bit of element, there'll be that, that, that I think they can give City a good game. But we'll we'll see. Depends <laughs> depends how they rotate as well. And as Jack said, they've had a rest, so they are in ominous form in the league. Ominous. 
as long as Tim Ream doesn't get himself sent off within five minutes, that would be an improvement on last time. I mean, Fulham actually did fairly admirably to keep the score down that game, considering what went wrong so quickly. But I remember just thinking, oh, I, I didn't think we were going to come here and win, but this is completely killed as a contest like yeah. four minutes in because there's no way we're going to come back from 1-0 down against Man City with 10 men. Uh, anyway, right, we're going to leave it there and we're going to do some of your emails after the break. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. Uh, before we get into this, we'll catch on uh, a couple of emails. First one related to Man City on Saturday. And this is from Peter Heffernan. And I, this really cracked me up. Uh, this is what the email said. Duffy's Bar is run by a top Fulham fan, Peter Heffernan, 25-plus year season ticket holder before making the fatal mistake and falling in love and leaving London. Been, seen and done it all with the club. It's a lovely pub. Good beer, good customers. I, I've enjoyed that Peter talks about himself in the third person. Think, did, it, did some of that rhyme? Is it a bit of a poem? Because I'm kind of into it. I it don't is. think it is, <laughs> but it, some of it did rhyme. Been, seen and done it all. Yeah, I um, liked it a lot. I just like that Peter talks about himself in the third person. Top Fulham fan. I, reckon he, I think he's probably copied and pasted some reviews is what I would suggest <laughs> he's done there. Um, he's got you to read it out. It's <laughs> nice though. Duffy's is cool. Oh, have you been? Okay. Well, it's yeah. um, if you want to go before the Man City game, it's at 398 Barlow Moor Road in Chalton Come Hardy, Manchester M21. 8AD. Uh, it's about a 20 minute taxi uh, to the Etihad and I've never been but it looks good and you get to meet top Fulham fan Peter Heffernan. It's actually much more useful for going to Man United I'll be honest. Um, it's down kind of Stratford way um, which is when Dean and I went um, ah. but um, yeah it's um, yeah it's it's cool. A Fulham bar it's in fun. Manchester. It's a Fulham bar in Manchester. That's If that's not good enough nothing will be. And you get to meet Peter, who sounds like a legend. So uh, there's that one. And then this one from Amari, who has done some unbelievable research. He said, hi team, absolutely love the pod. In light of Mitro's incredible goal scoring exploits this season and all the talk and discussion of various league records he could break, I decided to research how his goal tally so far compares to our club records. He said on Saturday, Mitrovic scored his 28th league goal of the season, meaning he has now surpassed Luis Saha's 27 league goals in the 2000-2001 promotion season, which is remarkable in itself. Um, because that was a lot of goals this season, that that season that Louis scored. This also means that Mitro has now scored the most league goals in a season of any Fulham player since 1954, when Bedford Jezzard scored an incredible 39 goals in 42 games in the second division, brackets second tier. 39. It We're going to beat that. He's getting close, isn't it? The overall Fulham record for league goals in a season is held by Frank Bonzo-Newton, who scored 43 goals in 39 games in the 31-32 season, which was the third division south, brackets third tier. When you look at goals in all competitions, Mitro's tally is the highest since Saha in 2000-2001, but it is only January and Mitro has barely played outside the league. It is also worth noting that just over halfway into this season, Mitro has already scored more goals in a league season than some of our greatest 
ever goal scorers, including Gordon Davies, Saha, Haynes, McBride, Dempsey, Zamora, Hales, Alan Clark, Tosh Chamberlain, and Jim Hammond. And even if you discount players that did not play in the second tier, only Jezzard in Fulham's entire history has scored more in a second tier season than Mitro. Records aside, all the above highlights that we are privileged to witness one of the finest goal scoring seasons and finest goal scorers in the club's history. And we should cherish him and everything we are doing this season. Uh, and that is from Amari Sinclair. Top research. He's also put a table together of where Mitro stands. Um, yeah, as he said, he's about fourth, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he actually gets to the top of that list, which considering that the record was broken in the 30s in the third division south, um, when football was very, very different, is incredible. So thank you for the incredible research, Amari. Um I mean, Mara should come on the pod with research like that, shouldn't he? It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, a Sunday pod awaits you, Amari, because if you've got if you've got jewels and research like that, I imagine you've got a lot of other nuggets uh, in your locker. Right, let's um, go on to some this'll catch ons. Um, the feature that seems to be growing by the week, where you submit some very silly chants and we rate them or slate them. Of course, Abba's Super Trooper was even heard at the cottage. Um, on Saturday as well. So it continues to grow and grow and grow with the Super Trooper chant. Uh, it was on the back page of the sun. Uh, all very enjoyable. Um, this one, first of all, from TJ Fogarty, who says, Hello, everyone at Fulhamish. Your segment on the Thursday pod has inspired me to think of some songs for our players who I don't think have songs yet. Without further ado, to the tune of Every Time We Touch by Cascada. It's a good start. It's a good start. <laughs> Uh, which is for Rodrigo Muniz and the lyrics go because every time he plays I get this feeling and every single match he'll try for a bike he came here from Brazil only cost 7-0 Rodrigo Muniz I'm pretty excited about this this is good (laughs) that has potential that does have some potential potential. (laughs) Cascada is a good start for a football chart I'm I'm, I'm on board I'm on board with it I liked that a lot. So that's a good eight out of 10 for me from maybe nine, nine out of 10, Jack. Yeah, I think it might be. It might be close. It's, um, um it's very good. There was that's just, a, there's, there's a sweet spot of songs. It's often songs that were made like from that, about the noughties at the moment. I mean, 20 years. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of ozone dragostad in tafe uh, chants going around. <laughs> it was one at Celtic the other week. So oh, I, amazing. Um, so I think you're in the right area. Yeah. Retro tends to be 20 years back, doesn't it? Yeah, so I exactly think that right. um, naughty songs at the moment are very popular for football chants. Um, okay, next one from Matt O'Brien, who says, Hi chaps, long time listener of the pod. I think I've got a chant for the forgotten man at the cottage, Fabry, to the tune <laughs> of the Timers classic. <laughs> <laughs> Fabry needs a song to the tune of the timeless classic Don't Speak by No Doubt. <laughs> what? Fabry. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're, you're spot on with the first line, Jack. It's Fabry. He's Fulham's third choice keeper behind Gazaniga. Just give Fabry a game. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's absolutely never catching on, but it's good. <laughs> Just give him a game. <laughs> 
Although I Fabry. am going to be walking around going Fabry, Fabry. for the whole day now. He's Fulham's <laughs> third choice keeper. It's a good one. I want it to. I want that to catch on, but it probably won't. I think it might catch on in our own heads for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be singing that for weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's quite good. I, I thought it was. Oh, it's excellent! It's if just, he, if he it's just a game. Yeah, if Fabry gets a game, that's going on. Right, two here that come with um, audio attached to them, which does get you to the top of the pile. I'm afraid these days because the ones with audio are just fantastic. Right, the first one. It's important to tell you the time we got this email. Thursday, the 27th of January at 21:53 in the evening. You'll see why. This is from Liam Pryle. Um, and he says just no hello or anything like that, but toasting at the back to the tune of something in the way she moves by the Beatles. He spelled his own name wrong. No, um, I think that might be his Twitter handle. Oh, Limo Pryle. Okay. In brackets, Liam Pryle. 29. He made it very clear what his age was and, when and sending a, this. In. And a half. Yeah. <laughs> and then to finish off the email and walking home pissed. Now you hear this, you will understand everything that's going on here. If you're listening with your kids in the car, I'd maybe skip the track 30 seconds, but it's absolutely exceptional. So this is Liam Pryle to the tune of something in the way she moves by the Beatles. Toasting at the back with Reem and Rodak, we fucking love ya. Toasting at the back with Reem we never can see the goal. You know you believe it all. Fulham to piss the league. Na, 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 na. <laughs> very, it's very tuneful. That's what I'll give Liam straight off the bat. Uh, very tuneful. <laughs> Not, I, I mean, it doesn't rhyme, but <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's tuneful. I, I, I enjoyed it. It's such walking home from the pub vibes. I love yeah. that it's, he's like, oh, I've got a good idea here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on to a winner. I like it. Go on. I like the fact that George Cooper saw this, heard it, and went, yep, this is my guy. <laughs> and then started an, a complete correspondence with Liam about where to go next with it. Um, so good luck to the two of you. I hope you mash it out. Yeah, they have a Fabio Carvalho chart that they're working on, which is, you're asking me, will my love grow Fabio Carvalho, which is uh, as far as uh, George's suggestions went. I think they've both watched the Get Back documentary and are fully in love. With, well, uh, I, had, with I had a bloke on the rap on Judy trying to write songs for this. Um, and he all he was doing was just literally writing. Um, he just kept writing out the lyrics to driving in my car, um, <laughs> but with Fabio Carvalho at the end. And literally everyone else in the comment section was like, go away, man. This doesn't work. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to see that and I'm going to take it and bring it home. <laughs> uh, the final one today, and I love this, is from Anthony Fernandez. It says, hi, Fulhamish. I've attached my submission for Will It Catch On based on the Pina Colada song. Uh, apologies for the rushed recording, but I couldn't bring myself to do it when there was anyone else in the house. Cheers, Anthony. How long were the people out for? That's what I was telling <laughs> They were like, oh, I'm going out for five seconds with the bins out. <laughs> like, <laughs> surely, surely. Surely you could have had a like 10 minute spell where you could have done this when someone went to the shops. I don't yeah. know. But anyway, it's the first time that we've had a This Will Catch On submission with instrumental accompaniment so here we go go. I'll hand over to Anthony if you like pina coladas and goals every game 
If you're not into Brentford, cause you have half a brain. If you like singing in the hammy end, on the banks of the Thames, then it's Fulham you're looking for, and we win every game. Unbelievable. Anthony Fernandez with his rendition of Pina Coladas. Not catching on, but I absolutely but love great it. Great fun. Enjoyed it loads. Real fun. Real, I wondered if it could fun. occasionally be a jingle in the podcast. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I would like that. I think we'll have to give get Anthony on round for a proper mic session, but um I think it could get in there. Yeah. I miss I miss my jingle. Who is it for? Matt Target. Oh uh, to reman Matt Target. <laughs> yeah. Um it I've probably was. still got it in the archive somewhere, Jack. I'll put that at the end of the podcast <laughs> for okay. people to enjoy one final time. Yeah, they were they were classic, iconic Fulhamish days. All right. Well, that is everything for today on the podcast. Thank you very much for listening and for all your this or catch on submissions. Hello at Fulhamish.co.uk. There is so many coming through. I'm trying to get through to them all. If it took a few weeks for us to get round to your submission, then my apologies sincerely. But um, it, I think since we started advertising it people have definitely uh, started to get more and more involved which we love they're so good and they do keep us chuckling all throughout the week so please keep sending them on through uh thank you for listening today and thank you to my guest thank you peter ratzler no thank you for having me sammy and jack collins thank you thank you sammy it's always a pleasure this is that was great i enjoyed that an awful lot yeah uh, we'll be back after the man city game seeing what happens in the fa cup and looking ahead to tuesday's game against millwall but in the meantime have a great weekend come on you whites you whites She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love Tim Ream and Matt Target. I'm sorry.